Star Wars meets Platoon. Fearless Fred presents Mud 79, a fan-made Star Wars story like you've never heard before. At 17, Solomon Kwai joins the Imperial Army, becoming part of the Galactic War Machine. But will he survive? Get down! Lead the way and list today. Fearless Fred presents Mud 79, a fan-made Star Wars story. Available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Welcome back to the Capes and Tights podcast right here on capesandtights.com. I'm your host, Justin Soderbergh. This week, we have Jenny Wood on the podcast to talk about their graphic novel over at Maverick, an imprint over at Mad Cave called Paper Planes. Uh, Jenny did this book along with Doza Draws, Micah Myers for the Maverick imprint. It's a young adult graphic novel called Paper Planes. Check it out. You can visit it online, jennywood.com to see more information about it. We've written a review on the website to caseandtice.com. But this episode is Jenny Wood talking about their original graphic novel, Mad Cave Studios and Maverick's Paper Planes. Enjoy the episode, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Uh, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. It's it's. I live in Maine, and in Maine right now we've had rain for 22 of the past 28 days. Wow. It's very unusual. I feel like I'm in Seattle or England or something like that. But I'm making do. <laughs> Luckily, yeah. my office has no windows. So I don't know if it's raining or not. <laughs> well, I'm not. <laughs> far away i'm in boston so, so um we've gotten a lot of rain here too not quite as much as you. i love maine so wow i'm I'm jealous even with all the rain i'm jealous yes. that you're in maine uh, i that's that's a great connection i lived uh in in lowell and haverhill uh andover for about 10 years from 2006 to 2016 so i know the boston greater boston area pretty well i was born in newburyport so yeah. massachusetts is, is is common to me but uh i like maine a lot more Every time I go back to Massachusetts, I'm like, just too many people. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And all those places that you name, like Newburyport, it's beautiful. Yes. And I love the whole Haverhill area. Um, so yeah, but Maine is better. I agree it's, with you. I it's, just, like, <laughs> it's just too many people. It's it's weird to say. And that's first world problems, I, I I believe. But like when you go there and you just like, there's traffic all the time. When I tell someone in Maine that I'm going to be there in 15 minutes, it takes me 15 minutes to get there. In, in yeah. Massachusetts, if you leave two minutes late, you could be 20 minutes late. If you leave two right. minutes early, you could be 15 minutes early. It's the weirdest thing. And I'm glad I, I ended up moving back to Maine because I've lived here most of my life. But uh, I enjoy it. Weather aside, yes, it is nice to be here in Maine. Uh, but we're not here to talk about the weather or where we are. Because anybody like who listens to this podcast who lives in like California, and we're talking about places uh, <laughs> in Massachusetts and in Maine. They're going to be like, what the heck are you guys talking about? But uh Let's get started. I mean, it's the uh, first time. Hopefully, you'll return at some point in the future. Uh, first time on the podcast. So let's tell a little bit about uh, how your origin story in comic books, graphic novels, and things like that, like how you started collecting or reading, and then how you got into the industry in the first place. Sure. Well, first, thank you for having me. I'm mm -hmm. very happy to be here. Um, and uh, my <clears throat> way into comics um, as a kid. So I grew up in a small town in North Carolina. Um there wasn't the closest comic book store was in Charlotte, North Carolina. So about an hour away. And I was really into as a kid cartoons because that was more accessible through the TV, you know, my TV I had a TV in my room and my older cousins got me into 
Star Blazers, which for people who've never heard of that, um, it which why would you? <laughs> right? It, it's like it was like an 80s syndicated thing. Um, and I was a little kid and I, I was uh, really into it. It's a Japanese animation. It's English dubbed. And there was this group of, of people called the Star Force and they had to leave Earth and go across the universe. They had one year. I think it was one year to get cosmic DNA to save the earth from radiation. So even as a kid, I, I was, it was, it had to be dark or deep for me to get into it. And then so I became obsessed with that show and I was in Charlotte. I walked into that comic book store as a kid and saw a comic book version of star blazers. And I was like, what is this? And I opened it. And I was like, what are comics? And that led me to more comics, which led me to the superheroes. And in particular, the Hulk was great for me because um, my parents would argue and they would argue a lot. And I realized that if I became the Hulk and was louder than them and angrier than them, and, and I'm a kid, that that was my superpower. I could get them to stop. And Hulk helped me. Like, I don't know if like how I would have navigated that without the Hulk. So, you know, those origins have made me love comics since I was a kid and got out of it as a lot of people do, fell mm -hmm. out of it a little bit in college, found my way back to it through graphic novels, especially, um, you know, Why the Last Man, mm -hmm. Blankets, Fun Home. These are all three very different graphic novels, but I was reading them around the same time. And I was like, rediscovering comics, grabbing novels. I'm like, I want to, I was working on this story called Flutter mm. and it was about a boy. It was about a girl who shapeshifts into a boy to get his dream girl because his dream girl was straight. And I was writing it as prose and it just felt like it needed to be more than that. Mm -hmm. And particularly why the last man. So I'm reading this and it's huge epic story. I still get chills when I think about it. And I'm like, I want to do this with Flutter. Like I want to turn Flutter into a graphic novel. Took a course here in Boston at Grub Street called, you know, graphic novel writing or comics, writing comics, something, something of that nature. And so learned how to write and learned how to write comics. And, and that was the birth of Flutter. Which is a very popular book and, and very well done. So that's a good start there. <laughs> Thank you. And that is a long answer, but it took you from childhood to yes. you know, recent years. That's not the longest answer we've got here on the podcast. So don't worry about that. I feel like I've asked that question before. I've looked. I'm like, wow, we're 25 minutes in. This this person still hasn't stopped talking about their origin story. <laughs> yeah, I've listened to some of your podcasts yeah. and I range is is great. So yes. I am yes. just in the middle of uh, in terms of length. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and so graphic novel versus floppy before we get into actually into um, uh, paper planes specifically, but like graphic novels versus like releasing monthly. Is there a preference for you? Or is it just how the stories have been have been created in your mind? I think I tend to think long, long range. And I, cause I also write young adult novels, mm. prose. And so that's tends to be how my brain works. I actually find it really hard, harder to write short stories. So when I do, like I, I do a lot of shorts for anthologies, those mm. are actually harder, but mm -hmm. yeah, my brain doesn't just works in terms of longer books. So I think that's why I mm. have no you know, I, I love the floppies, but as a writer, I just don't 
tend to think in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this, there was this, this up and ebbs and flows and how people collect. I'm a huge single mm-hmm. issue go Wednesday warrior, so on and so forth. But I do, I used to like shy away from anything in graphic novel or trade paperback form because I was like, but I want, because I want issue number one. Like I want that thing. And then more recently, I don't know if it's as I grew older or just the market changed a little bit where there's definitely some graphic novels that were never released in floppy that I'm now starting to pick up and read and enjoy and so on and so forth. I I don't know if it's, I read a lot of it digitally. So maybe it doesn't matter anymore whether or not it's a complete story that's five issues in digital form, you know, in like, or it's a single issue. I don't know, but I, I definitely think that uh, uh, my mind has changed into accepting more graphic novels. And there's so many good ones out there that that I might have missed if I wish I'd stuck to floppy to folks. <laughs> right, right. But I get it. I get why people want to collect the floppies, and there have been times where I've done that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I get why people, uh, you know, have stayed away from graphic novels or find that term pretentious. There's also, you know, people in the literary world who don't give uh, graphic novels their due, don't give it the respect, you know. So I I get all sides of it, definitely. We all have our preferences and it's just great to have all these options. It's exactly, exactly. And and so you release paper plane or, or releasing paper planes. I, I read it so, so long ago now that I feel like it's already been released, but you're releasing paper planes on the Maverick imprint over at Mad Cave. How did yes. the connection, how did that end up at Mad Cave and the Maverick imprint? Was Did they approach you? Did you approach them? How did that happen? They approached me, um, Erica Schultz, who mm-hmm. is a great writer in her own right. She writes for Marvel currently, um, an image. Uh, she and I are longtime friends and she does some editing for Mad Cave for Maverick. And they had this idea for for a graphic novel about a grade school friendship that was really intense. And they were going to be sent to a camp for troubled youth and while there, they were going to communicate to each other via paper planes because mm-hmm. they, they wouldn't have access to their phones. So that's that was what they had. And Erica just thought of me and thought it would be a great fit. She did not know at the time that I had just had a grade school friend recently pass away. This was in 2020 going into 2021. And um, I had fallen down that rabbit hole of of how grade school friends, whether you stay in touch with them or not, mm-hmm. they they just leave their mark on you. Um, and I had rewatched Stand By Me and I had reread The Body and I was just in, in the rabbit hole. And I get this small pitch from Erica. I'm like, would you be interested in this? And I'm like, yes, I would love to write about this right now because I'm kind of in it. So it was just one of those moments where a bunch of dots connect together. It just felt meant to be. That's that's awesome. And I've said it multiple times on this on the podcast and so on. Mad Cave and, and, and Maverick and, and the whole team over there is just outstanding right now. They're doing wonderful things. I'm excited to see how far they can go with with what they're doing over there. And the fact that this is at Maverick and at Mad Cave is such a great thing, in my opinion, because they're just killing it, honestly. <laughs> they're great. It's a great yes. group of people. They're so supportive. Uh, they're all about finding diverse stories in all different kinds of ways, different creators, giving, giving people a shot who normally would have, you know, to go through other channels or have to wait a few years. They're, they're just a great supportive team. Mm-hmm. Of people. Absolutely. And their marketing team is great. I mentioned it before too. I've gotten things. I just put a, uh, 
uh, Liana Kangas is the artist of a new uh, book, uh, Mariko Between Worlds, that's coming out over at Mad Cave. And they just sent me a package in the mail with like a poster and some pins I put on my backpack and so on and so forth. So it's really have a great marketing behind things too. And I don't know if I'll get something with a paper planes poster on it in the future, near future, because it is coming out soon. Um, but hopefully I do, because I do like to put, I'd like to put that poster up if there was one. You gotta find yeah. room for it there, right? <laughs> if, if there's a poster, we will send you one. We just so we last weekend we were in Chicago at the American Library Association yes. conference. We're making buttons and we made a camp welcome to camp hell button for paper planning. So we can maybe get you one of those. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so much fun. And it's, it must have been fun. I mean, like I said, before we actually dive into the actual book, it must be fun doing things like this and promoting this book. Yes. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, especially because we weren't. I wasn't out promoting things all of it, you know, for mm. 2020, 2021. Yeah. So it's just nice to be out there to be promoting something um, that you feel so good about because every aspect of working on this book was just, I keep saying it, but it was just a gift. It was, it was a great experience. How long did it take you to actually write the book? It took me about a year okay. to script it. Um, just from beginning outline to final scripts. And then Dozer Draws is the fabulous artist on this book. And it took them about a year to do the art. Okay. So it's a two-year process, which I think is from my experience with graphic novels, that's about my schedule as well mm -hmm. on previous it's, books. It sounds about right. <laughs> It sounds about right. And that's one of those things that I don't know if I'm a instant gratification kind of thing. And if I were to create comic books, why I would kind of want the single issue thing is because I could do it and, and release it as it goes. This whole waiting in a year and a half, two years, potentially to release the product that I made work so hard on probably would eat at me personally, right. but I can understand yes. how it does take time to make these things. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly why, even <laughs> though I prefer longer scripts, I do yeah. short and short stories for anthologies so that I can exercise those muscles right in between the longer graphic novels. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. And you gave a, a, a kind of an idea of what Mad Cave approached you with the story, but what is your, is this, what's your elevator pitch to someone when you're talking to them, like at the uh, association thing this weekend, what, how did you pitch it to someone? Um, that it's two grade school friends who've been friends for a long time. They get sent to a camp for troubled youth during the summer for an incident that they were involved in and they have to spend the summer kind of reconciling with what got them there and who they are and the future of their friendship mm -hmm. and that awesome. they communicate you know via paper planes which are very yeah yes i just like i wanted to reiterate that again the paper planes thing is such a unique uh thing as well it's also one of those things i think about like where i my my son even recognizes when i'm on my phone too much he's mm -hmm. two and to the point where he's like, daddy, put it down, daddy, put it down. I'm like, oh, geez, gosh, that we all also can't. It feels like the whole texting thing is like, well, we can't use our phones. We've got to text somehow. So we're going to use paper planes. <laughs> right. Right. And we try to be careful with the book, not to use it too much to find yes. that right balance. Right. Yes. Yes. But uh, and so you, Mad Cave, I'm guessing, connected you with Dozer Draws, too. That wasn't something that you did. Right. That was probably someone they approached you with. Yeah, they assembled a great team for this book. I think that. I think it shows in the book. I think each person involved from Erica editing, Dozer doing their amazing art, which makes, I mean, they just got the the story right away and made mm -hmm. these characters so accessible. And then Micah Myers uh, lettering extraordinaire. Yes. So, yeah, it was a great team. 
the characters are so engaging they're likable they're easily relate to also as 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 human beings that we all have you know stories to deal with and and problems to deal with uh it makes it easier for us as as readers to read when you can connect with them on an emotional level and that i think that's something that really came across in paper planes was that part of uh this whole uh, plan in this book was to be able to have people connect with them Yes, absolutely. I spend a lot of time developing characters. So I I have this like, you know, bio sheet that I fill out where it goes into, you know, what's the character's favorite shirt and why favorite, um, you know, food, what what items are in their fridge, I, you know, just it gets to be really specific things that probably won't show up on the page. But what I like to do there is create a full character and a flawed character. It's mm-hmm. very important that the characters have flaws because no one's going to relate to a character that doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if, you know, a, a queer character needs to have flaws, you need mm-hmm. to make them relatable. Um, and so, yeah, that's really number one, because the plot, the story, everything comes out of those characters. So I'm glad you brought up the queer character needing flaws, because the fact that I've had conversations with people on here, I think it might have been with Jude um, Ellison S. Doyle about the idea that people just associate the fact that queer people are perfect in this weird way and that they have to make it so they have flaws and to prove that they, that they're normal people <laughs> like it's just like everybody has flaws everybody has problems and and the fact that there's this weird misconception that uh you have to be perfect relationships have to be perfect things have to be perfect and i'm glad you brought that up <laughs> yeah i mean to be relatable to to you know show people who are you know uncomfortable or don't understand or just don't have a lot of queer people in their lives you show that that we're just like everyone else yes. you have to show the layers the flaws mm-hmm. um you know and and yeah that that has to be there and I, what helps is that we have a lot more queer representation mm-hmm. so there's a lot more room for nuance and and all the flaws mm-hmm. i mean we just i have a book club at my my local comic book shop um that we read a trade paperback or a graphic novel every month and uh, this past month, we did our first young adult. And we read Wind, and it was a very good uh, book to read for for Pride Month. In that sense, too, it opened up a lot of people's eyes to some things, and it was just well written. And James uh, Tunyon does a great job with that. I feel like this is another great book that I think that I mentioned before we start recording about the idea that young adult books don't have to be specifically towards young adults. They could be they're for everybody, but they're geared towards young adults, meaning that young adults can read them. Um, was that the plan going into this? Uh, is to make it so it's accessible to everybody, but really focuses on young adults. You know, we didn't talk about it, but I, th- okay. I mean, um, I think that's how I approach everything. I think that's a through line in all of my young adult work is to try and make it accessible for everyone. So, um, because we were all at that age at one point, right? So, you know, I remember when I was working on Flutter, I'm like. Most people don't shapeshift or can't, I mean, we can't shapeshift into a boy or another gender to to pursue the person that we want. But in grade school, we probably tried out for a musical or tried out for soccer or something to get someone's attention, right? Mm-hmm. And so I felt like that for that series was people's way in. And with Paper Planes, I think we've all been there where we've had a friendship where we're suddenly struggling to communicate. 
we're struggling to communicate who we are with the wor world. We're struggling to find words. That's usually a big part of middle school going into high school. So mm -hmm. I did think, you know, people are, are hope that people can find that relatable. Right. So mm -hmm. it's not something we talk. It's kind of like this unconscious thing, right? Like where it was there through the whole process, although we didn't openly talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it, with this book club too, which is really cool, and this is one of the ones I'm going to recommend we read uh, once it re releases, is that uh, there's like there's a father and son that come to the book club, and the son's like 13 years old. Obviously, the father is around my age, around 37, you know, 40 years old, and the idea is that they both read it. And so if you read a book that was specifically adult oriented, obviously the kid wouldn't connect with it in a way, or maybe they shouldn't read it. Honestly, there's some books out there that the kid probably shouldn't be opening yet, uh, as well as the opposite that, 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 you know, if it was a book geared towards someone who's 10, 12, 13 years old, it may not connect as well. And there's books out there that I think that you can do this. And like you mentioned, we all lived through <laughs> young adult life. We always had that. The, the opposite of the child doesn't have not lived through adult life yet. And that's the difference. I think some of the things have in that. And I just, like I said, I, I as I mentioned prior with the whole like foppy versus trade or, or graphic novel, as I got older, I realized that there I could read everything. I have Star Wars books that from the new High Republic series that are like, picture books that I'm like, I'm still going to read this. I'm not too old for this. I can, I collect uh, comic book things. I'm never too old for this stuff. <laughs> right. Never. You're never too old. <laughs> so I just love that idea of having a book that is, is accessible for young adults and young people. That's also accessible for someone as, a, as an adult like myself and something like paper plane is really connected that way. And I don't know why I keep on going back to that, but I just, I don't know why I had that feeling that I really enjoyed the book and trying to quantify why I really like to try to, uh, you know, uh, give you an excuse of why I liked him. Like, oh, it's for everybody. I swear it's for everybody, people. <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I definitely have that in mind. So you're, yeah. you know, you're not. And then I, you know, I'm an adult writing it from an adult perspective. So mm -hmm. I think that can be, that might be part of it too. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it's that, you know, and, and when I was writing it, I was thinking about friendships people who have grown apart from not just the grade school friend that passed away or other grade school friends, but adult friendships, mm -hmm. like things happen in, in our adulthood that separate us from our friendships or, or cause a strain or turbulence. So I, I think we can still relate to it as adults, not mm -hmm. just back on, on who we were in grade school. And, and going back on the grade school, we all passed notes as young kids too. Like we, you know, that's the way we communicated because there's no way. I mean, how many times did I date someone in grade school that I never actually ever talked to in person, like never actually even communicated right. actual right. words to, and to have the ability to pass notes and passing notes in a paper airplane kind of way, kind of reminded me of those days in school where you'd pass notes across tables or whatever. And, and, and seeing that, what did I just recently, oh, Power Rangers. I just watched the 2017 Power Rangers movie for the first time, like the reboot of it, whatever. And at the end of the movie, I'm not gonna spoil much to it, but they have the Power Rangers powers and they're passing notes in classes, but they're being they're able to do it by throwing it so fast because of their powers that it's just like they're throwing it across the room and the person's just catching it. And I was like, I literally was like, oh, it's like on paper planes or the planes across the room. I was like, it's weird how I'm connect connecting paper planes to Power Rangers, but it, we all have done that. We've all passed oh. notes in class. And, and this is a similar thing where they're passing notes in their cabins at this camp, but it's very similar in that sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love the um, comparison to Power Rangers and paper <laughs> planes. I love it. 
I I was mad about the Power Rangers thing because I'm like, I just wanted the old school, like simple two-tone motorcycle helmet style Power Rangers suits. And it was too futuristic for me in that sense. But, uh, you know, I always love my Power Rangers out there. I mean, was there anything else in in Paper Planes going into it that you really wanted to accomplish that either that you did and you really want people to know about? Well, one important aspect, thank you. That's a great question. And, and as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh yeah, there's the whole non-binary aspect yeah. of it. So um, now that I'm more on the other side of it, sometimes I, I forget. So I, I came out as non-binary during the pandemic, right around the time I got the opportunity to write this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of those things. So, um, you know, I didn't even know like 10 years ago, I hadn't heard the term cisgender. I hadn't Mm. heard the terms non-binary and I was working on Flutter. I was starting to work on Flutter. And then I wrote A Boy Like Me, which is a young adult novel about a trans boy assigned the wrong gender at birth who is in high school. And there's a girl who loves him and sees him for who he is. But both of those projects, A Boy Like Me and Flutter were totally written in in the binary and both of those projects took me to comic conventions, mm-hmm. uh, including FlameCon in New York and Queers and Comics, which was also in New York. And it was at those conventions where I was asked for the first time uh, by moderators on panels what my pronouns were. Mm-hmm. And the first time I was ever asked, I was my and this was years ago at this point, but I was like um, inside my head it, in person. I was very polite. I was like she, mm-hmm. her, her stumbling through it. But in my head, I was like, why are you asking me? Don't I look female? Blah, blah, blah. And that reaction. And I was out, you know, I'd been out for years as a lesbian. Didn't feel right, but it felt like it's like the the best fit I could find. Yes. I had such a reaction, though, to my own pronouns that I'm like, internally, I'm like, something's going on here. And through you know, being there and exhibiting all these at all these conventions and exhibiting Flutter and a boy like me, I started to learn the t- terms non-binary and cisgender and be introduced to these. And then the next step was I would talk to my friends who were, you know, in at comic conventions who were like in their late teens, early 20s, because at conventions, you one of the things I love is you meet a wide range of people of different ages, different backgrounds. And I would be telling my younger friends, I'm like, if I were 18, I'd be non-binary. This was like two, three years after being introduced to these terms. And then we get into a pandemic, the world stops. And I'm like, you know what? Who cares, you know, that I'm not 18. I'm non-binary. I'm Mm -hmm. going to get used to these pronouns. Around the same time, I got the opportunity to write Paper Planes. Maverick and Mav Cave are so open to representation, to, you know, all different kind of LGBTQ characters and and writing those and creating those. So I'm like, I'm going to have the main character be non-binary. And it was an amazing opportunity to do something that I'll never get to do, which is be non-binary in grade school, have people see them and and be completely fine with it because my friends who have kids who are that age they are better at pronouns than us adults like they they, (laughs) right so that this book was a great opportunity for me to explore what it would be to be non-binary at a younger age to write my first non-binary character 
while coming out as non-binary. And that again is another gift. It was just such mm -hmm. a great opportunity, you know, and then finishing the book and doing podcasts and interviews and, you know, here I am uh, being seen what I feel like for the first time as my genuine authentic self. Although I didn't know what that was a few years back yes. and to, to work with uh, Dozer, who is a non-binary artist and see the world that we created through this book, through their eyes has just been amazing. It, it's great. And I love uh, the rest, representation is still not where it should be. It's, but it's on its way there, in my opinion. And I think the comic book industry is such a great place for that to, to be, uh, you know, shown like just because i feel like all of us as the comic book industry have dealt with being i hate to compare but closeted to the point where we're geeks nerds all these things that we didn't want people to know about and, and in the sense that like we've dealt with that since the day we started you know reading batman superman wolverine all these things so, like i don't want people knowing how much of a nerd i am i hid that you mentioned the whole uh, uh transformation or, or, or uh, morphing from you know male to female to get the person you like like you mentioned about flutter uh is is I did that in a sense of hiding who I was. I was like trying to be the biggest, you know, you know, uh, pop popular person in the world, even though in the closet I was going home and reading Wolverine and, and, and wanting to play with action figures and things like that. But I didn't want my friends at school to know that I wanted to basketball, football, baseball, all that stuff is what I wanted to know, uh, rock music and all that stuff. But I really wanted to go home and just read comic books. And so the we've all dealt with that our entire lives so now those that it makes you feel like it's a, easier i hate to say easier because i don't know as a you know uh straight white male in in the united states my life is pretty easy um but uh is it it's, it's easier in comic books i think for some people to come out and say i'm going to write about non-binary character because a lot of us are open to the idea of different things absolutely it's a lot to say this it's a lot to stumble on to try oh. to get that point out but yeah. It's important. It's an important point. It, it's absolutely true. I mean, you know, I just mapped you through like the last decade of my experience in comics. I found my home. I found my identity because uh, of comics and comic conventions and the community. And to be able then to to write a non-binary character in a in a comic in a graphic novel is just fantastic. But yes, it the comics the the industry is so open to to writing about all of you know all of these issues all, all different kinds of characters um and what's great about it is that there's something there is something for everyone right mm -hmm. there's just it's there's more publishers now more and more popping up which are more and more opportunities to to write these kinds of stories and, and i think one of the problems misconceptions of people who are not as open-minded or not, haven't gotten introduced to a lot of these things that is that you writing a character that's non-binary is not uh, this book excuse me it's not about a character who's non-binary it has a character in it who's non-binary it's the same Hi. thing uh you know this week as we record this uh christopher chaos comes out the oddly pedestrian life of christopher chaos by tinian and, and uh tate bromble isaac goodhart the character is gay and queer in the book but that's not about the character being queer. Wind is not about the character being queer. Right. It's that a character is, and that's it. What's like right. so? If you're not, it's not like you're getting preached to about you know no. whatever it may be. It's a character in a book that is a like a normal person in this world that you live in. You go to the grocery that's store. There's non-binary people at the grocery store, but that's not about the grocery store. Isn't about going to a non-binary person who's checking you out at the register. Right. It's part of life and that's what's great about these books and the, what you wrote here with uh, paper planes 
well, what's great about all these characters is, and you you said it, is that these being queer, being non-binary, being gay, it's not the most interesting thing about these characters. Yes, yes. It's just, it's like they're Pisces and they're, you know, registered independent uh, to vote and they're also non-binary or, or gay. So, which is great. You know, we've got so many characters now that, you know, it's just one of a list of things that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and again, that's partially due or largely due to, to how much representation there is in comics. So right. we can write these characters and it doesn't, it's not a coming out story. It's not a story that focuses on their gender identity. Mm-hmm. It just is one of many aspects. And that's not to say books that are about that are bad. I'm just saying that like it's one of those things that I just love that representation to the point where you're just reading a comic book that happens to have a queer character in it or yeah. a non-binary character or a trans character. Like you have, it just happens to be that way. And in and, and most good stories that are written that way, you can just continue on. It's not like a stumbling block on the reading of the book. It's just like, okay, yep, this is it. I have multiple friends who are non-binary. They live in my life. So why wouldn't my comic book characters also have, have that in it? And, and I think that's the the great thing about comic books right now. And as we progress and go forward uh, in the industry, it also helps with independent comic books nowadays of being in such a big thing. And Maverick is an independent publisher to the point where like you created this with the team over there at Mad Cave and Maverick from the ground up. This is not a character. You're not trying to rewrite Superman. You're not trying to rewrite Supergirl. This is, you know, your characters are your characters that didn't exist prior to the inception of this novel, the graphic novel. And so that's what's cool too. Not saying that there's not a transformation in big two superhero comic books, because there is. You see this now uh, with some characters coming out and things like that. It's just a lot easier to do a character that's from the ground up (laughs) in independent comic books. And that's why I love about the growth of independent comic books has allowed this to happen as well. Yeah, there's not the pressure. There's not the expectations from longtime fans. and yeah, which is one reason I prefer to to create original yes. characters. And, and I get those. I understand those expectations. I have them too for my favorite things. So yeah, that's a major I mean, difference. I mean, the world <laughs> freaked out when 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 Marvel decided to make Thor female, and that was a simple that was a simple thing. Let alone you know diving into other stuff in the world. It's just kind of funny how like, people have this preconceived notion of what their characters they grew up with are. And it's possible that, you know, Captain America's entire life has dealt with this, you know, thought in his head that he wants to be who he actually wants to be. But people don't want to hear that. They want to hear that Captain America is a straight, you know, role, like model of a character, da, 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 all this stuff. They don't want it to be changed. And like I said, independent comics, when you create a character from the beginning, you can make it whatever you want. You can, can you can make a character with no arm and say, oh, you're just born with no arm. And, and or, or you can go as further as as making people like they are today in the world yeah. you live in. Right. And those comics are there for people who want them. And if the people who don't want them and want their superhero comics, you know, it's, it's, again, it just goes back to having all these great options on the shelves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and, and so you're, we mentioned Dozer, I wanted to create the Dozer Draws thing too, is like, there's certain artists that work so well with someone's writing. And I think Dozer Draws is a perfect connection on this. Like, their ability to get a visual aspect of what you were writing is so amazing. And then Micah Myers' uh, lettering is perfect too in this thing. Uh, Micah's amazing as well for any book that they letter. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. But the connection on, I think that's one of those things that I've, I've read stories and I, I hate to do this, but I love 
James Tiny in the fourth writing. I think his writing is absolutely wonderful. I, me and my buddy Paul, who owns the local comic book shop, Galactic Comics in my area, have struggled to get through the first two issues of the Department of Truth because Martin Simons' art is so different. It's amazing. It's talented, way better than I could ever do it. And I'm even an artist is that it's just something that I haven't got to stumble. I'm stumbling over that. And sometimes that artwork just works pairs so well with you. And, and having the ability to have Dozer Draws draw your script and your 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 graphic novel is the perfect matchup in my opinion i agree they got the story from day one the characters um and was able to capture what i had in mind and in in a lot of cases even better so i just i won the lottery the artist lottery in in that in this book because i agree with you like sometimes the writing and the art is a match and the writing can be fantastic and the art can be fantastic, but if they don't, they don't complement each other, then, you know, it, it doesn't quite soar off the page. Because it takes you away from what you're actually doing. Like you're supposed to almost, in my opinion, when you go to read a book, you're supposed to just read the book and look at the visuals and keep it going. If it stands out too much one way or the other, it distracts you from what you're actually looking at when you're trying to get across. So, uh, you know, this, the idea that a young adult I hate to say simple, but the, the dozer draws work is so simple, but it needs to be in that point. I think I don't think it needs to be super detailed and all that stuff. The lines are crisp. And I love the difference between, I wrote a note, I didn't write it on my notes here, but the difference between uh, is the past and the present too. Yes. And the coloring was, of it, that was amazing. And the lines are a little bit more fuzzy and things like that. That's such a great difference between past and present. That was dozers. That's all their idea, you know, working hand in hand with our editor, editor with Erica, kind of just giving them feedback. And, but yeah, that was all dozer um, working to make uh, it. They wanted the reader to go back and forth from the flashbacks to present without having to think too much. Mm -hmm. Right. As you were saying, just to keep reading and you don't have to, you don't have to, you're not distracted by anything. And I, I feel like I read at night in bed a lot of times. I read on my iPad. My wife goes to sleep, so I have this iPad mount that like mounts up. It's backlit, so the lights can be off, and it's not bothering her as much. And and I feel like sometimes as I get into reading and getting more tired, obviously, and so on and so forth, that I miss things on the page. And sometimes you miss that thing at the top of the page. It says five years ago. And if it the artwork being different but also similar allows you to go. I mean, after you read that first segment of a flashback, then you know every time the pages look like this that you're not in the actual present, which doesn't confuse you. And I think that's a big thing. And and some people do it and some people don't. Dozer Draws nailed it on this one. Yes. Yeah. All of their instincts for for that were, were spot on. Yeah. And so, you know, the book's about to come out. You're you're in that final stretch. Obviously, I'm guessing you've been busy talking to people and promoting it. You mentioned you were just at a conference uh, uh, this past weekend uh, promoting it. You're in that home stretch. You're excited to get it out there. Uh, what's the next? Is it just basically promoting that book right now? And you're, are you working on something else at the time? I understand you might not be able to talk about it, but are you working some on some other stuff right now? Oh God, I hate that. Um... I, I, mean, I hate the uh, you can't talk about it stuff, but we well, all I, have I've to said I said before, it. like if you if you tell me something that you you can talk about and there's nothing you can't talk about means you're not busy enough or that like there's something that you're you need to have some work because if you have something you can't talk about it means you're you're busy and you're actually working on something. Right. right. 
Well, I, I, yeah, I do have, I am working on a, a new graphic novel that I can't talk about. Um, but I'm also, I've got a, a short comic short coming out in the next John Carpenter's Tales of a Halloween Night. Oh, nice. Anthology, horror anthology, which is not young adult. Um, that comes out in September. And then I'm also working on another young adult prose, a novel. So separate from comics and, and that one I'm actually wrapping up. Um, and then I'll send it back to my literary agent after I've addressed all of his notes. So I am fortunate that I get to, while, you know, I'm working on a graphic novel and the artist is spending a year that I've got other projects that I'm working mm -hmm. on as well. Um, so, but the next comic release, so Paper Planes comes out July 18th. And then the next comic release for me will be the John Carpenter's Tales from a Halloween Night in September. That's awesome. I'm so looking forward to that too. Yes, and it's 18th at bookstores and LCS is get it a day, day later just because the way that it works in the world. They'll get it on the 19th because uh, Tuesday's new book release and Wednesday's new comic book day. Uh, just a weird, weird way the world works. I like how they're back to back like that. There has been comics where it's like, August 18th and you're not getting it in book comic book stores until August 31st. I'm like, why is it so far away from each other? <laughs> but yeah. you live locally enough. We got to get you up to yeah. a little briar patch up here in, in, in Bangor, Maine, uh, their local bookstore in the downtown Bangor area that sells, uh, you know, novel novels as well as graphic novels and things like that. And they would love to have you up here. So if it's around sometime with this, book or maybe your next uh you know next young adult novel uh we got to get you up here so you can meet your fans up here in this area too that'd be great i would love to yes absolutely um so paper planes it's excellent it's wonderful everybody should read it not just young adults adults young adults honestly it's a great book i'm so glad that you uh we worked with uh, maverick on this and, and got it out there july 18th is it hits bookstores so check that out as well as you can get it online um uh, maverick and mad cave have partnered also with omnibus who just uh, that's an episode that released uh, the week that we were recording this and uh they have a digital uh, platform digital online comic book store so you can get it digitally on most places like that too so uh check it out mad cave it has it for sale on their website as well i'm sure so um Get it, buy it, tell your friends to buy it, buy it for a friend, right? <laughs> yes. Buy six copies, buy one for your car, <laughs> one for your camp, one for your house. There's no discount <laughs> on multiple copies, just letting you know. It's just, <laughs> I love it. I absolutely do. And that's not even joking. That's me being sarcastic. I was very happy. And I, I, I luckily, Melissa over at Don't Hide PR has helped us uh, book a number of guests on this podcast. Melissa is absolutely wonderful, uh, very helpful. And I gave uh, gave Melissa a list of people and I'm like, I got to get you on here to talk because I really enjoyed, uh, you know, uh, enjoyed your work. Sadly, I hadn't heard about you until this, which is none of, you know, it's, it's I hate admitting that stuff, but it now what makes, what makes me do it makes me want to go back and read things like Flutter, which is amazing. And that's I think that's what I love about doing this nowadays. I get to talk to and meet new people. And the number of times I've actually gone back and read older work from them that I had never heard about because there's so much out there that makes me go, OK, I'm going to put whatever I was going to read off to the side and read things like Flutter. And so that's on my list to read uh, now. So look, looking forward to that. So at some point in the future, we'll get you back on just to talk about Flutter. How about that? <laughs> That's great. And you know, I, when I'm at comic conventions, I meet people all the time that I, it's the, my first time hearing of them. And I should have heard of them years ago because there's so many people doing great work. Absolutely. So check it out. And you have a website? Yes, it's JennyWood.com. Okay. 
and, and I'm guessing you're on social. It's Jenny Wood and what was it? Wood and did it? Jenny Wood and did. Yes, that's what it was. That's I agree. I love the cleverness to those things out there. There's a lot of good ones out there. Um, but check check you out on social media. Visit your website jennywood.com. And go buy Paper Planes July 19th or 18th at bookstores July 19th at local comic book shops. If you uh, Final quarter cutoff in most of these places has passed, but just tell your local comic book shop you want it because even if they didn't get it or didn't know about it or whatever, they'll get it. It's not like they can't get it. So just let them know you want it and they'll get it for you for sure or check it out online. Like I said, um, I hate to promote big places, but buy it wherever you can buy it. Like the thing is, it's one of those things you're like, I don't want to support these big, you know, big shops, Walmart, Target, whatever. I'm like, if they have it, buy it because it still supports the creator of the book and the publisher and so on and so forth. The more people that buy uh, paper planes, the more Mad Cave and Maverick will believe in Jenny and that will make they'll hire them again to do things in the future. <laughs> Correct? Well, you know, no, that's to- 110% correct. And if people at Target and Walmart seeing books leaving the shelves, it's like, hmm, what is that? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So wherever you can get it, not saying they're available everywhere, those post places, but wherever you can get it, buy it because that helps the creators of the book and so on. So uh, Jenny, I'm so appreciative of you coming in, taking time off of your day to come in here and talk to us about paper planes and so much more. I uh, we'll hope to have you back on in the future. But until then, I hope everybody in the world buys it. It's a smash success. They're going to sell out and go into reprinting at some point. Uh, we really love the book. So thank you for coming on. Well, thank you so much, Justin, for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you today. Um, and have a good day and enjoy New England weather, right? Right. Yes. <laughs>